Welcome to the MBUK podcast. In this series, we'll be looking back through some of the moments that helped shape the sport of mountain biking. From the pioneers that paved the way, bikes that broke the tech boundaries, and the events that pushed the very limits of the sport, to the racers who will be forever cemented in our memories for their antics on and off the track. We'll even do our best to predict how things will look in the future. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your mates. And if you have time, please give us a review. It's time for another MBUK podcast. And as ever, I'm Rob Weaver, joined by my co-host Tom Marvin. And today we have the head honcho, big chief, big cheese, James Costly White, JCW Cost, editor of MBUK, in with us. We're both feeling very pressured because he is in charge of our livelihoods. Um, if we get this wrong, we're in for the chop. Uh, pressure's, pressure's on. on. Yeah, watching you like a hawk. God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's caught on camera. <laughs> double whammy, double trouble. Um, today, we are going to talk about the moments that were meant to change mountain biking. And when I say moments, I mean the tech. The stuff that was launched but never really came, I don't know, came to pass. It, mm. it sort of existed for a while but never really caught on. Or even if it did catch on, it wasn't for long. It yeah. isn't here now. And for whatever reason, it's faded out into the distance. Um, so there's a bit of a list. Oh, my fucking phone's ringing. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So starting off our list, and and it's it's not the biggest list, but there's some there's a few maybe clangers on there clangers is a good word yeah there's a few on there but i want to go for something that's fairly iconic and well even though it's on our list you could say maybe it's made a bit of a comeback or a resurgence yeah in other cycling disciplines dis disciplines disciplines Dis disciplines yeah and that is the flex stem well the gervin flex stem did you ever have one james so i never had the flex stem but i did have the onza h2o pedals which similarly worked using elastomers instead of a spring or any other kind of damping. For the uninitiated, can we just say what is the Gervin Flex stem? Yeah, so and then also, <laughs> what, what, what are these pedals? I've never heard of these things, but we'll do the Flex stem first. So the, the Gervin youth, the youth. Yeah. <laughs> so Flex stem was a quill stem, as it were at that point, um, with a hinge between the upright bit and the extension i can't think what the word is the stem body the, stem the shaft shaft <laughs> well so out of the steer right? and then the bit that goes across to join the handlebars right? that, the handlebars bounced it, yeah. up and down yeah the end of well stem. no so, so it had a pivot but it had an el elastomer in between mm -hmm. the pivot so a bit of um plastic with slight damping arguably properties slight. and the idea was that when you went over a bump the elastomer would compress and give you a bit of suspension for your hands compliance. yeah okay but the problem, well, there are various problems. I mean, it's not ideal having your hands moving a different direction from the rest of your body. Also, elastomers are very temperature sensitive. Mm -hmm. So in the cold, it would barely move. And in the heat, it would move too easily. Be waggling around all over the shop. Yeah, which is the problem I have with my pedals because the Onza H2O pedals also use elastomers. Right. So if you clipped him when it was cold, you often couldn't clip out. Oh, they were clipless pedals. So instead of having yeah. a spring mechanism, you yeah. had an elastomer. That's a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea. You had three mm. different weights of elastomer that you could use to suit the conditions. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, if it was cold, you got stuck in. And if it was hot, you just unclipped by mistake all the time. Was this, I imagine Onza wasn't designed in the UK though. 
No. no. So maybe it was designed somewhere warm. It's safe to say that, yeah. And also, at what point do you go, I'm not sure what the weather's doing, have a look outside, right, better change the springs mm. in my pedals. <laughs> who no one's who ever done wants that. to do that? No. no. It was it was short-lived and no other brand copied them. Oh, Whereas boy. the Flexstem actually carried on for quite a while. I mean, <laughs> given the state of some suspension ports at the time, you can kind of understand why the Flexstem was adopted. But again, though, it's it's kind of that take on suspending the rider not the bike so a little bit like suspension seat posts right so mm. kind of works if you're sat down i guess maybe that was the point of the flex stem to keep your hands as calm as possible over rough terrain so that they can operate better your hands aren't you know you, maybe less fatigue less arm pump that did you do that marketing for? <laughs> <laughs> that was that's the theory yeah but then you had to bear in mind that when you hit a bump your whole body would lurch forwards because the bar would drop yeah how much travel did these things have Oh gosh! Now you're asking. Go off, like an inch. Mm, it was probably close to that. So I never had one. Twenty-five mil, maybe yeah. a bit less. Okay. I never had one. I had absolutely no interest in getting one. <laughs> no. Yeah. I saw some in person, and I saw people waggling around on them. <laughs> Not into it. And so, do these sort of coexist with suspension forks? Well, because Gervin had a suspension fork as well. That was a yeah. elastomer job, wasn't it? And I'd say the Flexstem was kind of... <clears throat> it was a precursor. It was after the RS1, say, the RockShox fork, but mm. it was before everyone had a suspension fork. It okay. was when they were still relatively rare and only maybe the top racers. Yeah. Especially for XC. Not mm. many people were using suspension forks. It was that big um, weight trade-off. You could have a Flexstem, so have mm. some of the benefits of mm -hmm. comfort, suspension, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you didn't have the additional weight of a suspension fork. Yeah. So some races would go for that. Okay. And as you alluded to, they are having a little resurgence because it seems, and, you know, I, I think this is probably a, a more popular opinion in mountain bikers than it might be on the road side of things, but gravel is about 30 years behind. Right? <laughs> um, and while there are a few gravel forks with 30, 40 mil of travel, none of them are elastomer, though, to be fair, there are a couple of gravel. Uh, Gervin Flex Stem ish stems on the market. So the Redshift, they have one. Mm -hmm. uh, and also Cane Creek have one, whose name unfortunately I've forgotten. Redshift is still like little rubber elastomer bungs that you pop in there. Um, and the Cane Creek one has a lockout on it. Um, What's the specialized system? Well, the Future Shock. Yes. Is so that elastomer that's kind of, based? Uh, no, that is spring based. Now, yeah, but okay. on a similar theme of suspending the ride and not the bike, that suspension on the future shock, future shock is basically between the head tube and the stem is uh, is kind of well, it's like a head shock like Canando used to have, but backwards. Mm -hmm. So instead of suspending the bike and keeping the bike nice and calm, less the rider and you going fast, you just make the handlebars a bit more comfy. I mean, I think it does kind of work. It, it I does, have ridden it. It does work. I've ridden the redshift stem, which oh. to be fair, <laughs> is is better than no redshift stem. God, does that mean are we at a point where we need to? Come Take this circle. off our list. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is uh, things that were good before their time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a unique piece of technology. And it looked pretty, it was kind of in those days of like fluorescent colours and drillium, where you just made things lighter by drilling holes in it. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's pretty wild-ish looking thing, right? Yeah. And did they have, did, because I mean, this is pre my time, so I apologise, but cantilever brakes, did... Were there not stems where the cable went into the top of the stem and then that was like the stem stop? 
I'm assuming that this was a set completely. There was none of that going on with the, the flex stem because obviously that wouldn't work. No, so I know what you mean. <clears throat> so I had, I had a 1993 Marin Bobcat trail okay. with a massive stem, where the cable ran in underneath the stem, uh, the, f- for the front brake. It then passed over a roller. Yeah. So the inner the I inner cable a, passed over the roller. I had a mirror then it went down thing. to a stop uh-huh. ahead of splitting mm-hmm. into the to the brake. Oof. What a way to introduce mud into your systems. <laughs> Isn't it just? I mean, you could have been way harsher than that. I yeah. could have been. <laughs> but we are sponsored by Marin, so I'm not gonna be. <laughs> so the flex stem is no more. Fortunately, unless you're riding a gravel bike, in which case it's just mountain biking from the night, is as we've just proved. Yeah, well, and <clears throat> it kind of brings us on to another thing, another concept whereby you're trying to suspend the rider. And this is definitely way before your time, Tom. It's the soft ride. Okay. So developed by a chap named Allsop and launched in 89, it, it kind of had this crazy... I'm not sure what it was made. It was out. like a cantilevered beam, wasn't it? That's that right. Stuck out the the, the frame. kind of oh, came right. from the front of the head tube. Uh, well, just behind the head tube, out, and it replaced basically the top tube and the seat tube, mm. more or less. So you had a quite a quirky looking frame. I think the original one was like an add-on that bolted onto it. Right. So you um, had the same normal frame, then you bolted this th- this to cantilevered arm. So it basically suspended you. Yeah. So you, when you were sat down, you're kind of bouncing around on this sort of... Have I seen triath- triathlon bikes like this? Yeah, right. So in they raced... This bike was... So they had the mountain bike version, but there was a road bike version. And they had like an aero-style frame. Mm. And loads of people raced it at um, the Kona Ironman mm. because mm. it was supposed to be more comfortable. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. In one year or something, it was like half the field huh. were on them. And maybe it was pretty decent for that. But again... For mountain biking, when we spend so much time stood up. Yeah. Kind of not much use. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Unless you're insistent on sitting down and going over all the bumps. Yeah. Riding dynamically. It's a similar thing with the slingshot as well, isn't it? The same era. Do you know what the slingshot is, Tom? Uh, that had a string instead of a down <laughs> tube, right? They might not like you calling it a string, but yeah, <laughs> essentially. It was a tensioned cable a tensioned and a cable. spring. <laughs> right. And then it was... how. Did it have, it had like a split on the top tube? I think there was, and and like a slider almost that would, so you could pivot over. It had like a a bit bolted in so the bit could hinge and slide over it so it could kind of fold in on itself a little bit. This is a podcast, you know. I know. It's very visual. We've got video too. It'd be fine. It'd be the only bit they use. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but that, I mean, I, I suppose. In some senses, it's going to work in specific scenarios and probably for the good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you consider the function of a down tube yeah. in terms of lateral stiffness, if you're removing that structure entirely mm-hmm. and putting a, not a string, a tensioned a cable. tensioned cable. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I suppose torsionally, not, not going to win any medals. Yeah. So I guess my question with both of these, the soft rider and the slingshot, is if these were meant to change mountain biking, how are they actually, other than being kind of unique and like maybe having attributes that were unique to them, how are they actually meant to change? What are they, what are they trying to do with these things? 
Well, it was a time before full suspension, mm-hmm. and there was obviously riders were looking for comfort primarily at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think of suspension nowadays as something to add grip and control. Well, certainly on the mag we do, maybe the average rider doesn't necessarily, but but yeah, in those days it was about increasing comfort because they were riding rigid bikes mm-hmm. and getting shaken to bits. Okay, And these solutions were a lot lighter than most full suspension designs of the time, and they did have some advantages. You know, a flex stem is a lot less... I was going to say flexible, that sounds wrong for something called a flex stem, but compared to a really spindly-legged early suspension fork, yeah. it probably did give you more control yeah. in handling terms. It probably mm-hmm. wasn't quite as I guess you could build a frame relatively stiff while still having suspension, instead of having those exactly. yeah. in there. We're, we're giving these things a hard time, but the reality is the people behind them mm. were working way ahead uh-huh. compared yeah. to the contemporaries, you know, who a lot of people were, you know, doing what, they thought would sell Mm -hmm. which is fine but these guys uh, you know it's fair to say they were properly innovating yeah yeah i mean the soft ride you know you've got direct drive to the rear wheel there's no pivots or anything in between and Mm -hmm. you've got a bit of comfort in the saddle so for the time it probably wasn't a bad solution tick tick the box of giving pedaling comfort right yeah okay it's just that as ever with the advantage of going second third fourth you Mm -hmm. can look at what's you know what's been done already and better it and whether that's refining it or changing it wholesale and and that's where a lot of brands did then come in and go actually we need to mm. do it like this and change it up and and that's why these have kind of faded out of right yeah um favor Has, it was a slingshot similar to the bow tie what was that bike <laughs> looking at me like an alien <laughs> I know. I, doesn't Russ have a bow tie? I remember the name, but I can't picture what it looked like. I'm pretty sure Russ, who's one of our photographers who's been with us for a long time, he has a collection of pretty cool bikes. He's got a lot of interesting bikes from the time, but I'm pretty sure he's got a bow tie, which I'm, I don't know who it was made by. You're Googling it. Go on. Yeah, Ibis bow tie. Ibis bow tie. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, hold on. Didn't. Again, this is great for the, uh, the yeah, audio. I might have cut this sign off. Um, is that a URT? That's a URT. That's a URT, but with a... It with did like have a strut. A, it has like a long strut a down long and it flexes strut. off that. So yeah. that's, well, uh, technically, Tom, what you've done... <laughs> oh, yes, was a accidental segue. you bridged from one topic to the next. So we were going to talk about URTs. <laughs> so a unified rear triangle. James, did you ever have... I mean, I keep asking you the same thing. <laughs> Do you ever have one? But did you ride one? A Ooh, bike with... Did I, ride? I certainly didn't have one. Did I ride one? Because where did they appear? They appeared obviously on Ibis, as we've just managed to. Trek. That, yeah, like the Trek, Trek Y bike had it. And the, the Klein Manch is probably the most famous yeah. bike for the URT. Yeah, bike. I think I did ride a Trek Y bike on it on a, like a mud dot demo day in Cheddar or something. Um, but hadn't ridden enough bikes at that point to really notice the pros and cons mm. that well. So what what is a URT? It's a unified rear triangle, and it basically. On a full suspension bike, if you haven't really noticed, the rear wheel is generally disconnected from the bottom bracket. Like there's a, there's pivots between the two, and on a URT design, the bottom bracket is on the rear triangle. Part of the swing bike. arm. It's part yeah. of the swing arm, which does mean that pedaling forces tend not to influence the rear suspension, which is great from an efficiency point of view. Well, that's why they were big, briefly at the time, because pedaling was seen as the major, major. Um, Advanced focus, focus. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's what you wanted a good pedaling bike, and anything mm-hmm. else came second. Again, it was that like we've been on hardtails, we know how efficient they are. This is what's going to win a race, yeah, yeah. or you know, give you the best ride possible. 
how can we add a bit of comfort but ensure we have it as efficient as a hardtail mm-hmm. could possibly be? But the problem is your feet aren't suspended at all, among other issues. Yeah, well, so I think um, it was one of those things that they kind of, you know, they worked in the sense that they give you nice and efficient pedaling characteristics, but um, many were famed for their quirks when you were stood up and descending. Right. Um, like forcing you to shift your weight around to places you don't want to shift your weight mm-hmm. around to. And um, those negative handling characteristics obviously were soon, you know, outdated when suspension bikes just got better and better without using the URT system. But it was clearly popular yeah. because so many people bought into it. And not just niche people, like like Trek, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not like a small player in the world of mountain bikes. No. And in fact, I mean, GT, you could argue to get a stage further with the eye drive system, where the BB wasn't part of the front triangle, but also wasn't part of the rear triangle. It was just sort of floating mm. in between. Okay. Um, I'd never rode any of these either, but I mean, it it had the, the advantages. Bike to go okay. Yeah, it had the advantages of the, of the URT without some of the disadvantages, but mm. it was quite complex, quite mm. a lot of moving parts. And they seem to break quite a lot, from okay. what I remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, as, I think especially with the URT, there was a lot of issues around um, how they performed under braking and stuff like okay. that. And then as the sport evolved and there was more focus on descending capabilities, that design sort of had had its had its time, day. Yeah, yeah, and 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 kind of needed to move on. But we say that. So there was a guy. There was a guy. Do you remember um, Mr. Big Racing, James? The name rings a bell. So but... it was it was a it was a Geordie family. So from right. up north, the northeast, uh, Steve Barker and his dad, and they sponsored a lad called John Robson. So John was probably Luke's closest competition when Luke had gone from junior into the senior category at the national level. MBUK Luke. Yeah, MBUK Luke, Luke Marshall. And um, the Mr. Big Bike had a URT. Right. But those guys raced it at World Cups. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to work okay for them. I mean, the fact that it probably weighed as much as this entire building. It It was made from like old motorbike forks, a motorbike shock, uh-huh. It was properly pieced together, a proper sort of one-man band in the garage doing it because Steve Barker's dad did it because everything was so expensive mm-hmm. and he was just like, I can weld. I'm really good at welding. Yeah, I'll build a bike. It can't be that hard. He knew, you know, he knew his motorbike stuff. So he was like, well, you know what? I'll give it a shot. Steve won a national title on it as huh. a youth or a junior. Okay. Um, but I remember trying to lift that bike off of a trailer at a national and being quite small it nearly flattened it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i think it took two or three of us right to get it off so yeah they it they certainly the urt bikes certainly had their time and and in mm-hmm. some aspects of riding were great sounds like a thing maybe some gravel ride gravel <laughs> are we just like redesigning the gravel bike maybe we should rename the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we need to now move on to our next thing let's do it Tioga disc drive go to that one now i've got a vague idea of what this is like i might be i might be a, a young whippersnapper at 36 mm. 36 36 do the quick maths yeah. come on <laughs> quick maths mental maths champion um <laughs> but i do know that Tioga disc drive was 
basically like an aero wheel for mountain bikes. So I'm not sure it was designed for that reason, but it was kind of an, an encased encase spokes that sort of rattled a lot and made a lot of noise. It was like a Kevlar sort of belted or not belted strings. Would you yeah, it wasn't in case spoke. So a, a Rhodes arrow wheel is like a normal wheel with a, a disc slaps on the side. With right? a yeah. disc on the side. Yeah, to make it cut through the wind better. Whereas the disc drive was a structural disc. It was. Ah, okay. Yeah. Kevlar strands. Yeah. Yeah. Used to create more compliance. Right. Basically, another thing to try to mm. add comfort into the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> if. If you've ever watched the film Tread, so this was like uh, Greg Herbold, Hans Ray, they were the protagonist in it, weren't they? Traveling around to different spots in the US. And it's one of the, probably one of the first most iconic mountain bike films of the early 90s. Mm. Probably like the first full-on big production one. Yeah. With helicopters and all this. There's a section on there with a guy that rides with a disc drive. And it's one of those things where there's no um, soundtrack. You can just, it's from a distance. You, do you remember that? You just hear this guy rumbling down because right. it was the coolest sound. Yeah. Oh man, it was just coming down the hill. It was immense, but they were hard, you know, they were, you couldn't really, it's not like you could true them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know what you did if, if the wheel, I don't know if you could retention. I guess out. you could probably retention them, but there's also the issue of side winds. Oh, they just had like a sail. Yeah. So it was like a, it was it's structural. Like oh, it was, it was solid. There's no, you couldn't put your finger through the, no. through the wheel. Yeah. No, no. And it, yeah, I think uh, there was something like, I remember a lad I knew had one and you could always hear him come in for a start. Yeah. Uh, and anytime he had a puncture, you had to probably give it about four hours because it was so, they left so little room to get to the valves. Uh, okay. So I think by the time they got to like the third or fourth iteration of it, they'd done a huge cutaway. For right. the valve, but the early ones weren't so good. But you know, Tomac mm-hmm. raced them for years. I mean, he was sponsored by Toga, obviously, for a long, long time. They probably paid him an absolute ton mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. Um, he made it kind of iconic and cool. Yeah. But like you said, geez, like, you know, you're mountain biking in the outdoors, hitting jumps. Yeah. The last thing you want is a side wind to just throw the back of your bike uh-huh. off trajectory and pummel you into the ground and it was happening all the all time. time so was there a, would you get him on the front or is it just a rear wheel thing didn't they do one i'm pretty sure they tried to develop a front one but it never went anywhere right mm. it was only at that point only on the rear uh-huh i mean okay. i would say james's belly's telling us it's, uh, <laughs> sorry about time that. for lunch but we would eat him yeah i mean there have been a few other attempts at sort of mag wheel type things as well haven't there like spin g mm-hmm. so not not full-on aero but not normal spokes either. Yeah. And those wire, what the, do you remember the wire ones? They had like cables instead of spokes. Well, there's a birds one. Is it the bird who've got um, the noble wheels with mm. those bird spokes in these yeah. days? Well, they're like string, modern, they're, they're, yeah, string spokes. They're string spokes, yeah. Mm. So obviously different to the Tioga disc drive, but maybe sort of generationally evolved from it in some respects and do you remember that time when we went to Eurobike and we were stood we were i'm pretty sure we were really tired yeah and we were stood in the lobby waiting for another day of marching around looking at stuff digesting yet another and that guy came over to us with that bike with suspension wheels do you remember oh that my, yes <laughs> oh no so yeah uh <laughs> he handed us this tiny little flyer then showed us this wheel he's like everyone else is doing it wrong 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, you're trying to be open-minded and hear him out. And then it's it's quite it was like a it was like a BMX mag wheel yeah. with three shocks. Three shocks in within it. it. And they you hear weirdly compressed when you rode them a little bit and yeah. Very strange. Very strange. There's been a few mm. iterations of that sort of thing mm. on the on the fringes of cycling. Very much. <laughs> But uh, yeah, not really the future of not, a mountain not biking. Not the future. It hasn't gone anywhere. Again, this sort of ties into my thought that there should be more aero and downhill, but maybe not <laughs> full disc wheels as uh, the, the side wind and the jumps is probably going to have a little a little impact on Watching that. Amory Perion sail off into the distance as he tries to jump <laughs> down that final through the arch into Fort William, just <laughs> yeah. sailing away down into... into um, I don't know. The big hit, hits into Ben Nevis. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there, there's been a few out there. Speaking of downhill though, and things that you know, maybe the disc drive was never really going to work that great for the reasons we talked about. But something that is a perennial, it comes up every time a company has a new drivetrain. Every time there's like a new derailleur release. Every time there's a new chain or a chainring or something, someone will pipe up in the comments and say. What about gearboxes? They're better. And just never happens. Never happens. Big gearbox hasn't got its teeth into mountain biking yet. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. It's I got thought lots he was of in charge gear. of puns. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Good job. Never never really gone anywhere. Obviously, um, Sturmy Archer, perhaps one of the OGs, has been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. In the mountain bike sphere, you've got we've got Rollhoff, which has been around again for a long time. Uh, Pinion, mm. which you know made a bit of a splash, and maybe is due another splash with their motorized version, which you know was announced with this the electronic year, I think. shifter. Yeah, yeah, that looks good. Um, and the only one that really sort of is about at the moment that maybe sort of shows some potential would be classifieds rear yeah. hubs. Mm-hmm. But generally, you know, these gearboxes where you get rid of your derailleur, get rid of your cassette on the back wheel, and then you have an internal gear system, usually planetary gears located i guess if we're going to optimize it in the frame to centralize and lower the mass and keep it kind of like where you'd sprung put a motor on an e-bike right exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. um they just never seem to have taken off that much which ones have you ridden just opinion just opinion i mean there was the hammerschmidt system as well which rob might have yeah i read that so that was a i didn't mind that that was a two-speed front gearbox yeah back in the days of on your cranks, wasn't it? On yeah, cranks, back in the yeah. days of double and triple crank sets. Yeah. It replaced the front mech. Mm-hmm. And worked out well from what I hear, but yeah. had a bit of drag, but otherwise yeah, pretty I mean, good. Yeah, when we're talking about that time, it was very much you'd had two mm-hmm. chain rings. And, you know, that's when people were creating chain guides for a double ring. Mm-hmm. Massively complicated. All sorts. I mean, you'd get a ton of drag just off those. Mm-hmm. So... It wasn't the ideal solution, but it was pretty good. You know, mm. I mean, I rode one for like a week in the Alps and yeah. I had absolutely zero issues with it. What do you think the reason is that, you know, gearboxes haven't taken off? Why haven't Shimano and SRAM built real mountain bike dedicated gearboxes yet? Or well, ever? I guess maybe prior to e-bikes, it's always been because you need a dedicated frame for it. Yeah. Isn't just a frame manufacturer exists and can choose from you know, any number of different drivetrain manufacturers and just bolt them in place. You need to essentially create that space Mm. for whatever gearbox you're going to put in there. Um, I'm not sure if they have like a universal um, bolt pattern. Mm. I can't imagine they do. But 
it's almost until the bigger brands take it on and, and force the hands of the bike brands to change how yeah. they make frames that we're going to see it. But as I was saying, it might be now where we're seeing those guys creating the e-bikes that use, you know, dedicated motors in that space. Maybe we will start eventually mm -hmm. seeing gearboxes down yeah. there as well. Do um, you think there is like this conspiracy that sort of gets floated around that, you know, Shimano and SRAM don't want to make a gearbox because gearboxes tend to be more reliable. They don't want to make them so that we keep buying mechs that we can bang off a rock and, and cassettes that wear out. It's hard to say, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, I, I would imagine that isn't the first and foremost thing that at the, you know, at the mm. front, forefront of their minds when it comes to design. It's probably because the bike brands aren't looking to necessarily change their bikes wholesale. Because if you're doing it, do you just put it on a couple? Do you put it on the whole lot? If so, you know, that's starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe there's going to be some reluctance around that. Um, maybe there is that element of, you know, the fact that there is a shelf life to some degree, not built in, but the chances are you're going to write some of those bits and pieces off and therefore need to buy them again. And that's what kind of keeps people coming back to the same brands and buying mm. the same stuff again. And that's their, you know, to a degree, that's a huge chunk of their business. Mm. But maybe, as I said, we'll see them diversifying even further. You know, we've got the two biggest brands now in terms of drivetrain, both building motors. Yeah. So maybe things will change. You know, hopefully you, you've got that Gamex downhill bike. Yeah. And even the guy, you know, even the guys that are just at the side of the, you know, the races doing their vlogs and, you know, their little bits and pieces for YouTube always comment on that bike going past mm -hmm. because it's so quiet, it seems to work so well. I mean, and that's not just because it's got a gearbox, obviously it's, the suspension's really dialed, but it's got to add to that, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the gearbox is going to help the suspension be so dialed. And and you could also argue that um, people might actually spend more on a bike with a gearbox and therefore make those brands just as much money mm -hmm. in the long run rather than constantly replacing it. If you were to go to someone and say, hey, look, you know, you're going to write off 10 rear mechs or you can have a bigger outlay right now and know that there's no issues. You're not going to have any issues for that entire decade of riding. Yeah. You know, I would imagine a number of people are going to go for option mm -hmm. B, mm -hmm. shell out a ton of cash and have something they just don't need to worry about, barely mm -hmm. need to maintain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bear in mind that Shimano do hub gears, like the Alfie yeah, and stuff Alfie, for yeah. commuting. So they've obviously got the the knowledge to cram a decent spread of gears into a small space. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know the reason they haven't done it for mountain bikes, but there clearly is one. Show my ignorance here as a non-engineer, but... I mean, the, the ones I've ridden have felt soupy. Yeah. That's how I describe Like, you know, Pinion, I owned a roll-off for four years and I had to sell it in the end because couldn't couldn't bear like the feel of it when yeah. you're going up long draggy climbs like it, it really didn't appear sure, like i can understand for cross country and stuff it wouldn't work at present but how about for downhill or like it the, probably makes the most sense in downhill right? yeah well and enduro you know potentially i mean and you can you know there's the argument around how you have to properly ease off yeah. when you're shifting in order for it to actually yeah. shift while you're pedaling um which in a race situation you don't want to do no and and i think i think the new one that the gamex guys are using i think there's a number of gears there that you don't need to do that okay i don't know for sure but it, it i can't imagine they're going to be trying to 
soft pedal yeah 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 between sections race, right? yeah. yeah i think you know the classified one which is obviously a very different proposition from i guess what we're really talking about is it's a two-speed system that is you can shift that under immense power like i think it's a thousand watts you can put through it and shift and it's instant it's, it's pretty insane mm-hmm. and it is like super efficient feeling. it's totally different to any other internal gear box hub whatever you want to call them system that i've ever used like it is so direct but it's only two gears so. <laughs> yeah what else do we want to cover well i guess we've talked a little bit about downhill should we talk about inverted forks upside down forks? Mm-hmm. so james why aren't we seeing more inverted forks around why have we stuck with the traditional lowers sliding up on the upper tubes you tell me rob um well there's various reasons aren't there i think um the, the, obviously I, sorry i was going to say probably the do we want to start with the benefits yeah yeah so why would you flip a fork upside down uh so the the suspended weight is lower better lubrication as well better lubrication as well so nice and sensitive probably going to track the ground better um the downsides being that you can't brace it as easily as you can a fork that we're yeah. used to seeing with a regular arch that runs over the top of the front tire. And the, the stanchions are more exposed to damage, so you have to have guards which up the weight. Yep. Um, but there has been a number of successful ones. Yeah. The Bossard, you know, Boss Suspension, famous for um, looking after Nico Vulios and Caroline Chosson and more. Mm-hmm. who all used the inverted fork to great success. Um, Manatee Dorado. Manatee Dorado is like a great fork. Mm. COG, right? Yeah, as in terms of production. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose Or the Shiver. Shiver. Yeah. Mar- Shiver. Marzocchi Shiver. Oh, and they did the, S- the SC was like the fork I wanted when I was 14. Oh, that 14. was cool. So it, cool. It looked cool. I haven't heard good things about the ride, but it White looks like it doesn't matter. Do you remember the White Brothers? <laughs> White Brothers. Mm. They made some beautiful UD180, stuff. UD180, is that right? Yeah, they did some normal forks as well, did White Brothers. They yeah. Beautiful things. Um, there's a... Well, Intendo are currently sticking Avalanche? Is mm. Avalanche? What was there? was a cross-country bike with one as well. I mean, they're obviously Shimano... Um, not Shimano, what was I talking about? Cannondale uh, Lefty. Yeah. But there was some... What was the other one? I don't know. I'll come back to it. I'll shout it out randomly <laughs> in the middle of a, <laughs> a different sentence. But the big thing there was always the torsional stiffness. Mm. So... Um, I remember riding the Dorado. I had a carbon Dorado on test mm. a long time ago. And if stuff went a little bit wild with the riding, chances are you're going to twist them. You yeah. didn't even need to do, I mean, I'm not big. I didn't even need to do a whole lot to need to go down to the bottom, do a full bolt check, let it spring back into position. Huh. So God knows what the, the likes of Chris Kavarek were yeah, yeah. doing mm-hmm. to those things. I mean, they worked amazingly well in terms of damping and spring feel and all of that. But yeah, not the not the stiffest by any stretch. Mm. And I know the likes of Sun and Bossard would run bigger crowns with more bolts mm-hmm. to try and stiffen mm-hmm. them up. And when Fox, because Fox did, I don't know, oh, I think it was G. Atherton, G. Atherton rode it at a US Open. I can't remember what year, but he was on a prototype, inverted what would have been like the 40. Yeah. And they had to, they changed the axle and they went up in diameter. And I think they ended up going to like a solid axle to try and gain the stiffness. And in the end, to try and match the stiffness, 
the weight just got out of hand. Mm-hmm. So for all those benefits they might have gained, they they lost just because of the weight and handling. Because do you remember the, the shiver weighed a ton? Mm. Well, a lot of them you had to have a proprietary hub as well, didn't you, in order to get that yeah. stiffness? We we rode we rode on a team with um, Marzocchi sponsoring it, and we were given the option of a shiver on Monster Tees, and everything we went for Monster Tees because they were lighter. Uh, <laughs> could actually pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just. I mean, they, they they still knock about a little bit. There's a few niche forks still there that are inverted. Intend obviously have a number of them. Mm. And a few years ago, was it probably 2000 and what 15 ish? We saw the RS1 from Rockshocks return. Mm. Yes, yes. Which, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it looked yeah. nice. It was cool. It, it was, was cool. <laughs> it was you don't cool. see them around anymore, do you? No, you never saw many of them around anyway. No. I mean, I they think, were very expensive. They were very yeah. expensive and also very heavy for what they were intended to do. Because they had a lot of material, a lot of carbon. Yeah. Hell of a lot of carbon in there. Proof that just because it's made of carbon doesn't make it light. Mm-mm. I think while we're on the forks, we probably need to talk about linkage forks, don't we? Oh, yeah. 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 I guess so. I mean, I mean the, they, the theory behind it's brilliant, right? Yeah. Controlling the... The axle path more, and it's so what we bang on about with rear suspension is what's the axle path. Well, it seems weird, doesn't it? Rear suspension, you pay so much attention to which way the wheel's moving, and then at the front it just goes up and down in a straight line, and nobody really queries it. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, designing it with a linkage rather than loads of sticky seals makes a hell of a lot of sense. You're removing all the stuff that you're the engineer spent ages trying to work around the friction. Uh, but so many brands have develop them over the years, claim them to be the big thing, the next big thing, and then they've just kind of petered out. Petered out. You know, I mean, most recently, I guess people like Trust, which was uh, Dave Weagle's yep. Fort brand. Yep. Sad, sadly went... We tested one, didn't we? Bust, yeah. I think, just before, just during COVID. Then we tested a couple of them, didn't we? We've had a few. Mm. Yeah, There's and there's that... Uh... And the Lau fork is sort of a bit like a linkage fork. It's got double... Springs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've moved away from the mountain bike sphere for possibly okay. good, good reasons. Yeah, but still, there's. It's one of those things. There's a ton of promise, but again, it kind of needs one of the big brands to kind of take yeah. it on in order for it to gain traction. Sadly, mm-hmm. so who knows? Maybe, maybe down the line we'll see it again because, as we said, in theory, you're adding more elements of control. You're removing any of the a lot of the negative stuff mm. that they're trying to work around now. So there's a lot of good things that could come out of it. Did you ever ride the white PRS2 one? Nope. No. And I guess the other thing with linkage forks is as head angles have got slacker, presumably it's harder for a telescopic fork to do its job as well. Uh, as angle gets, well, they get more sort of like more of a frontal impact. So I guess makes them easier well because if the steeper they are the more backward force and imp- a, a step has as you hit it okay maybe cut that bit out then <laughs> <laughs> so i guess finally i so i actually added something onto the list while we were talking yeah me um and uh... this isn't because i guess i've added it on here because we haven't seen a whole lot of them of late but what they were onto was something pretty smart i think and that's the bionicon so oh yeah so while you ride, like you could ride along on that bike, shift your weight, mm-hmm. and it would move. It would basically, you'd have air go from the fork, the air chamber in the fork, through to the back. So it would basically steepen the bike up, yeah. mm-hmm. ready for climbing. 
and then you would press the button, shift your weight back, and it would swap the air, mm. ready for descending. So back to the sort of more aggressive geometry. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good idea. The theory sound, but yeah. I think they were so focused on that system that maybe the geometry and the suspension yeah. itself didn't receive quite enough attention. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's sort of when you think about it, it's all the stuff that people are trying to emulate with all sorts of things. I mean, the yeah. canyon, canyon shapeshifter. Yeah, and the Scott uh, twin lock is yeah similar. exactly yeah. There's there's sort of elements of that within both those mm. bikes, mm -hmm. um, but in done in a different way. And I, I guess again, as we sort of said towards the start of this, it's that advantage of not being the first. Yeah, seeing what the others have done and tweaking it or you know changing it enough mm. to make it work more effectively. A friend of mine had a bionic on. He's a guide in the Alps, and I, I rode his bike once, and I've got a scar on my knee because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the bike, or <laughs> I fell off. <laughs> um, on that note, though, like I, I guess one thing we don't really see a huge amount of is like sort of on the fly geometry, just other than the yeah. two that you mentioned, twin lock and, and shapeshifter. But my first uh, or my second proper set of suspension forks. Um, was a Mazoki Marathon with the ETA thing, so uh, like a lockdown. Yeah. Obviously, RockShox had the U-turn, which you know you could on the fly adjust the travel. And the whole thing of that, I guess, yep. was to try and improve climbing performance by shortening the fork, steepening everything up, and mm -hmm. and we sort of. I think now we've got geometry sorted. Maybe there's less need for it unless you're Canon yeah. and you want your shapeshifter. But yeah, I mean the, the Fox Talus as well. You know, yeah. they all, all the big brands had them. Um, the big thing is, I think it, it disturbs what you do with the rest of this is like the, yeah. the mm. damping the air spring and all that you're adding another element to try and work around and if you're looking for you know like the beyond bionicons were quite big travel mm. um but because of all the effort they had to go into doing you know creating that system it meant things like the almost like getting the basics right became a lot harder yeah. mm -hmm. the spring the damping it just it wasn't as good mm -hmm. as what the other product you could buy and then you would just go well i'll just live with the other stuff and work harder riding uphill yeah which you know it's a bit of a shame but as you said maybe it's something that sort of then spawned the other things that we've seen and then we can still use mm. today which is great mm. is maybe they just don't get enough high fives for it yeah yeah which is a shame i guess the modern day version is your geometry flip chip in the frame yeah which you know it's not on the fly but a lot of frames have them. I don't think many of us use them, but <laughs> they kind of exist. Well, or even your pedal platform or your climb switch on the shock, you know, it's yeah. the same sort of idea, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Right. I think that pretty much covers most of those things, I think right? I so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thanks, JCW. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. And please join us again for another MBUK podcast very soon.